Uh, good morning again, church. Good to be with you all this morning. And again, my name is Reed, and I have the joy of, uh, yeah, being the pastor here. So if you, again, if you're new, if you're a guest, we're glad you're here, and uh, it is a joy to gather uh, with God's people on the Lord's Day. And so again, whatever, whatever you bring with you into this space, uh, whatever worries or burdens, whatever joys or aspirations, uh, we are reminded afresh that the Lord meets us where we are. Uh, but never leaves us where we are. That is a beautiful truth. And so what I want to do as we prepare to hear from God's word and and continue to learn from it, I just want to lead us into time of what's referred to as a centering prayer. A centering prayer is a way of us being attentive to what God is doing and saying to us just in this moment and being aware of the the, the worries, the burdens, the anxieties, and the joys that we carry with us. And so I just want to take a moment just to lead us in this time of prayer to be attentive to what is around us, what is in us, And and what do we need to hear from the Lord in this time? So let's just take a moment uh, to pray. Father in heaven, in this time, we, we slow ourselves down so that we might be able to be attentive to the fact that the God of highest heaven dwells with us now. And so, Lord, I ask that in this time, through the power of your spirit, would you make known to us That as we sit in these chairs, as we gather in this gym, that we are in holy ground because you are with us. And so, Lord, would you allow us to pay attention to the worries, the fears, the doubts, the joys that, that are swirling within our minds and hearts right now? And would we recognize the fact that you recognize us in all of our complexity? And so, Lord, for each person here whom you have made in your image, whom you love deeply, would you make known to each of us what we need to know and hear? And would you equip us to be people to respond to you in ways that make us more and more like your son? And so, Lord, for those of us who are far from you, would you draw us near? For those of us, Lord, who have grown cold to your presence, would you warm us by the power of your word? And would this time together be a means by which we grow together to be more and more like your son in thought, word, and deed. And so, Lord, bless the teaching of your word. Bless the hearing of it. And would you bless the living out of the truth of your word that we need desperately in this time. So speak to us now through the power of your spirit and for the glory of your name. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, what we've been doing on Sundays is walking through um, our values as a church. And so uh, if you were with us in the the summer when we were at uh, Frisco Lake Park, we were walking through a mission statement. And now we're walking through our values and showing kind of what our, who who we are, what what Trinity is kind of built upon in terms of our biblical vision for who God is calling us to be. And so I've shared this each Sunday, but our vision as a church is that we long to see our community holistically transformed by the reconciling uh, power of the gospel through the work of the church for the glory of Christ. This is where we plan to go as God leads. Our mission, in light of that vision, is stated as such. The Trinity Fellowship is called to, uh, to follow Jesus by cultivating disciples who love all peoples and seek the common good of our community. 
And this is, so this is what we plan to do. And then our values are who we plan to be. And we have these five values. And so I may sound like a broken record, but it's just important to kind of reinforce this truth. It is gospel centrality, holistic discipleship, multicultural family. Today's value that we'll be talking about is mutual hospitality and biblical justice. And so when we talk about mutual hospitality, this is the one that's probably the one that kind of causes people to kind of tilt their head a little bit. Like, I'm not quite sure what that means. Like, are we just hosting a bunch of dinner parties? Is that, what, what does hospitality mean? And it's, how is it mutual? And so kind of our, our summary statement is this. That the gospel moves us to be a people who are able to graciously play the role of welcoming host and humble guest. Each person has something to offer and contribute to the formation and the fruitfulness of our community. And so much can be said about this value, and and we want to spend some time today looking at it based on the passage that Susie read for us in Acts chapter 10, okay? And so, but what I want to do, so I want want to speak to our kids for a little bit. So kids, let me see, raise your hands. Who are are my kids here? Okay, you're here. Okay. So adults, just don't even listen to this for now, okay? So kids, I want you to know what we're going to talk about, okay? And if your parents decide to eavesdrop, they can, all right? But what we're going to talk about is this. God uses all types of people to do his work in the world. He uses all types of people. He uses young people. He uses old people. He uses rich people. He uses poor people. He uses smart people. And thanks be to God, he uses not so smart people. And so that is a beaut- that, So that's what we're going to talk about, okay? Okay? So parents, now you, can, now you can tune back in, all right? So that was just for, just for the kids, all right? So here's what we're going to do. When we look at our passage together in Acts 10, I want us to keep that in mind, that God uses all types of people for his purposes in the world, okay? So let me set the context for us in our passage in Acts 10. So the book of Acts is written by Luke, who also wrote the Gospel of Luke. Luke and Acts are basically two volumes together. And Acts is the story of, essentially, the apostles launching and planting the church after Jesus' crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension. And Acts has all these remarkable stories of people being transformed by the Gospel of Jesus and joining in in the kingdom of God that is now and not yet. And in the context of Acts, uh, of Acts 10, before that, we see these stories of these very unlikely people who come to faith in Jesus. We see the, the, the transformation of uh, a man from Ethiopia, so who's not really part of the community of God's people, and he comes to know Jesus through Philip. And then in Acts 9, we see the story of Saul who is a persecutor of the church, also becomes a Christian. So what we're seeing in Acts is people who, like, no one would believe could actually become a Christian, they become Christians. And then we come to Acts 10, and we see that story continuing. We see somebody who would, by all accounts, be considered an outsider for a lot of reasons, and yet God uses them for his purposes. And this story in Acts 10 of Cornelius and Peter... It is actually a very important passage, which, I mean, all the stories in the Bible are very important, but this one is really, really important. And, and don't just take my word for it. You can, you can take it up in Luke because it's the longest story in the book of Acts. It's the longest story that Luke records for us, and it's the most referenced story. Luke keeps coming back to it. Like, if, you, if you've ever watched a movie, like, multiple times, like, it means you really like it. And so Luke likes this story a lot because he keeps retelling it. 
So we come to Acts chapter 10, and we are introduced to, I'm going to break this story up into some chapters here. The first chapter is the story of the curious centurion. Okay, that's my, that's my title here, the curious centurion. Acts 10 verse 2, we read these words, Cornelius, anybody named Cornelius? No Cornelius? Oh, we got one. Okay, good. Wonderful. Welcome Cornelius. Acts chapter 10 verse 2 says this, he, referring to Cornelius, was a devout man and feared God along with his whole household. He did many charitable deeds for the Jewish people, and he always prayed to God. Now, the centurion was a Roman soldier, a Roman soldier who is in charge of a hundred other Roman soldiers. That's what the word centurion means. It means a hundred in Italian, essentially. And so this guy is pretty important. So he's a Roman soldier in charge of a hundred people, and he's described as somebody who fears God. And that is a phrase that's actually used in the New Testament a lot to describe somebody who is not a part of the Jewish community, but who is very interested in the things of God, but isn't necessarily a, a worshiper of God or a follower of Jesus. So you would, we would maybe call them today somebody who is like um, in, in interested in spiritual things, but maybe not be interested in Christianity. So Cornelius is very much a spiritually curious person. And he's a really nice guy. He, he seems to be doing good things for the Jewish community. But he is not necessarily a follower or worshiper of their God. But he's very interested. Then we get to verses 4 and 5. So this person, who is not a part of the inner group, if you will, is still used by God for a purpose. And we see this in verses 4 and 5. The angel told Cornelius, your prayers and your acts of charity... Which is very interesting because they weren't done really recognizing this God who's speaking to him. But this angel says, your prayers and your acts of charity have ascended as a memorial offering before God. And so now send men to Joppa, which is a city, and call for Simon, who is also named Peter. So this man, Cornelius, who is not really a part of the, uh, he's, he's not a follower of Jesus at this point yet. He's not really a part of the Jewish community, and yet God is using him to do something remarkable in the history of the church. This man, who's not a follower of Jesus, is recognized by God and still used for his purposes. So that is the curious centurion. Now we turn to, and of course, it's the same letters, the appalled apostle. The appalled apostle. I, can't, I love alliteration. Some of you know that. I can't help myself. The appalled apostle. So we come to Peter now. So Peter is one of the apostles, okay? One of the original 12. And we come to the story where, where Peter is given this vision from God, a very interesting vision, where we see this sheet, something like a sheet that comes down from heaven. And there's all sorts of animals on it. And God instructs Peter to eat these animals, to kill and eat. And, and then Peter tells God, no. Now, this is foolish on two accounts. It is foolish. Some of you know where it goes. It is foolish to tell God no. And it is foolish to turn down an all-you-can-eat buffet. Like, that is just, just never, if you have that opportunity, uh, always, always say yes. But seriously, like, Peter, Peter is responding to God who created him, who gave him the ability to speak in the first place. And Peter says, forbid it not, Lord. Like, I, like, I would never do this. I'm too holy. That's kind of what Peter's saying. And God, God is so gracious and patient and merciful to Peter because he says it three times to him. It's like, all right, Peter, let's try this again. All right, take the sheet up, bring it back down. Okay, animals eat. No, okay, one more time. Pretty dense here. And so it says in verse 15, again, a second time, the voice said to him, and this is where God kind of, kind of pries and prods a little bit in Peter's heart. He says this, what God has made clean, 
do not call impure. This was a way to prepare Peter for what God was going to reveal in sending him to Cornelius. God is saying this to Peter because he needs, Peter needs to have something worked out in his heart. Because Peter tends to view this, this, the idea of the people who can be used by God, it's a very small list of people. And Peter's one of them. And remember, kids, what I said. Like, God uses all types of people to accomplish his purposes in the world. And Peter is not getting that. And so if you get it, it means that you're further along than Peter. So good for you. So, so this is the appalled apostle. So Peter's told to go to Joppa, which I've always sound, sounds like it's like a, a city in Star Wars to me. But, uh, but he goes to Joppa to see Cornelius. And so now we had the, the curious centurion, the appalled apostle. And now we come to the odd couple, the odd couple of Cornelius and Peter. So the men Cornelius sends to Peter, they find Peter and Peter goes with them back to see Cornelius. And as Peter arrives, kind of, kind of, you know, skeptical, not sure what's going to happen. He arrives at Cornelius's house. And what does Cornelius do? This centurion, this mighty soldier who has power and authority over Peter, really. What does Cornelius do? He bows himself before Peter. He falls on his knees before Peter, which is very strange to think of like a Roman soldier who has authority and power over a citizen bowing before Peter. Which is a pretty remarkable thing. And then what does Peter say? Peter says, stand. He tells him to stand. And the reason he tells him to stand is because I myself am also a man. Now, you have to kind of put yourself in Peter's sandals, if you will, okay? Peter has been raised to hate Gentiles. Gentiles are people who are not Jewish, okay? Peter has been raised to hate Gentiles. He has also been raised to hate Gentiles who are Roman. And he has also been taught to hate Gentiles who are Roman and who are soldiers. And so Cornelius has three strikes against him. And so Peter, he has, I mean, think about this opportunity. Imagine like a bully who comes to you and is like apologizing and and bows before you and wants to be your friend. You're like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. This person who's picked on me my whole life is now bowing before me. You would think that Peter might be delighting in this, like, yeah, it's about time you bow down before me. Like, you, you might think Peter is being a little bit arrogant in this moment, but instead he says, stand up. I'm a, I'm a man just like you. Which is a way of Peter saying, we're on the same level. We're, this, we're the same type of person, so to speak, which was a big thing for Peter to do in this moment. And so as Peter invites him, To stand and look at him face to face, eye to eye. In this moment, Peter, I believe, is being moved by the power of the gospel that he's come to believe in. And he's been been moved by a gospel that simultaneously lowers him and lifts him. This is what the gospel does in our life. It, It humbles us. by telling Peter's basically saying, look, I'm no worse off than you. You and I are the same. But it also lifts Peter... Because he has a confidence in saying something that needs to be heard in this moment. But Peter is still reluctant. So if you have your Bibles open, look at verse 28. I think it's on the screen as well. It says this, Peter said to them. So there's a crowd here. So he's not just talking to Cornelius. There's a crowd that has grown. Cornelius has brought some of his buddies along. And this is what Peter says. You know it's forbidden for a Jewish man to associate with or visit a foreigner. But God has shown me that I must not call any person impure or unclean. 
Now, the way I read that is kind of Peter like, okay, you know, like it's like we're not supposed to hang out. Like society says and rules say we should not be friends. And, and Peter's kind of throwing God under the bus. It's like, but God told me to come here, so take it up with him, I guess. Like that, it seems like Peter is reluctantly being willing to go talk to Cornelius. He basically says, like, well, the rule book that God wrote says that we can't hang out, but God's telling me to be here, so you figure it out. And then Cornelius shares the vision that he had. The vision that an angel gave him and the message that he wanted Cornelius to have to share with Peter. And he says this in verse 33. After sharing the vision, he says this. And so now we are all in the presence of God to hear everything you, referring to Peter, everything you have been commanded by the Lord. Again, just think about this. Like, imagine the bully on the playground coming to you and saying, like, I want to hang out with you. I want to learn from you. Tell me about your life. It's like, this is really weird. Roles are kind of being reversed here. This man, Cornelius, who by all accounts is seen as a filthy pagan at, at best and an enemy to the people of God at worst, is, being, is saying to an apostle of Jesus, I've brought my friends here to learn from you and to hear what you have to tell me. And what is Peter's reaction? As Peter sees this man who usually is representing power and authority that is an enemy to the Jewish people. I mean, the Roman Empire was a great force and threat against the Jewish people. And what Peter sees is something very different. Peter is humbled beyond belief. And we read these words in verse 34 through 36. Peter began to speak. There, there's this kind of moment where he, he's learning something in this moment. We're seeing Peter having the, the, the scope of the gospel widened for him in this very moment. Peter the apostle says this. Now I truly understand that God doesn't show favoritism. But in every nation, the person who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. He sent the message to the Israelites proclaiming the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. Now, there is so much to be said about this passage, and I, we don't have time to go into all of it, but, but the one thing I want us to understand is this, is that in this moment, Peter is starting to realize that the scope of the gospel, what it does is it makes a much larger table for people to join than he may have realized before. What we learn in this passage is that Peter needed Cornelius just as much as Cornelius needed Peter. I say that every time I talk about Acts chapter 10, that is the phrase. Peter needed Cornelius just as much as Cornelius needed Peter. Peter, the apostle whom Jesus called the rock of the church, is learning something about Jesus and his kingdom through this Gentile Roman soldier. And so, kids, if you remember what I say, I said that God can use all ty- he does use all types of people to accomplish his work. And we see that, that lived out in this story. So if there's, if there's one idea I want to give our, little, our big idea here in the middle of the sermon here, it's this. The one idea I want us to remember is this, that the gospel turns us and them into we. The gospel turns us and them into we. We all have this tendency to, uh, to um, other people, to, to turn uh, people who are not like us into others. 
like other people who are very different from us, and we tend to create a divide where there is an us and them. And it's really hard to interact with people when you see people as being different from you and you can't interact. But what we see in this story is that God is actually trying to bring people together who shouldn't naturally be together and create a new kind of family. It made me think of this. This is maybe not a perfect metaphor, but if you kids remember, like during the summer when you go swimming, what's like the worst part about swimming in a pool, like a public pool? Say it again. Oh, you can't splash because other people are around. Yeah, that, that is definitely like splash. Like you want to be able to splash without any kind of limitations. I totally get that. I, I think one of the worst things as a kid is when the lifeguard comes over the intercom and says, adult swim. Isn't adult swim the worst part of swimming? And you have to get out of the pool. And what happens? There is an us, them that's created. You have to sit on the edge of the pool while all these adults just kind of like float around and like, it's, oh, it's, it's lame, isn't it? But then, what is the most exciting thing to hear? What does the lifeguard say? Eleanor, what does it say? Yeah, they say, you can come back in. They say, all swim, right? That's the really exciting moment. That, that tears down the divide. Now we all get to swim. Usually the adults leave the pool at that point. But the point being, the metaphor still works. The idea is that when we create an us-them divide... We are not actually living out what the gospel does. It turns us and them into we. And when we are, and when this happens, when we understand that what the gospel does is that it makes us a family, it changes the way that we view the differences in other people. And so instead of looking at the differences that are around us, because obviously we want to recognize that there are differences. There are tall people, short people. There are rich people, poor people. We recognize that. But what we learn, what the gospel does, is that it takes those differences and it gives us a more powerful factor that unites us. And that is our shared faith in Jesus. When we are made family through Christ, we find ourselves more willing to grow in our ability to sacrifice and suspend our personal preferences in order to make room for others. But it's not just about saying, hey, I'm okay that you're different than me and we'll just learn how to kind of get along. But rather what the gospel does when it changes our lives is that we see the differences in other people. Not as challenges, but as opportunities to grow together. Tim Keller, who was a pastor in New York City who recently passed, um, said this in talking about this idea of what the gospel does in creating a new community. He says this, one of the most crucial ways that the Christian church embodies the gospel is in the unity of Christians who are different from one another, economically, culturally, racially. In general... The job of the church is to show the world that people who cannot live in love and unity outside of Christ can do, can do so in Christ. This is really what we mean when we talk about mutual hospitality. This value, what it is about, is recognizing that every one of us, if we are united together in Jesus, each and every one of us has something to contribute and what the gospel does is that helps us see, it helps us see that we are, it lowers us and it also lifts us. And so what I want to do very, very briefly is I want to just share two things about what mutual hospitality looks like and how we can try to live it out in our church family. 
The first is this, is that when we come to see that, that God uses all types of people and that he can use people who have very different backgrounds and viewpoints, it does this. We learn that we can be gracious hosts and humble guests. We take turns serving and being served by one another, not just with people that are like us, but learning to serve and be served by people who come from different backgrounds. And this is really hard for us to learn at times because it's easy for us to sometimes think that, especially if we're a person who maybe has um, a lot of resources or talents and abilities, it's easy to look at ourselves as the people that can help other people. But we tend to look at the people we help as if they can't help us. And that creates this us-them dynamic. I remember, I'll share a brief story. I was in Jamaica with, um, we led a mission trip several years ago with a bunch of high school students. And I was in an infirmary, which is basically like a, a, a nursing home for people who were dying in this community. And I went to the side of this bed of this gentleman who was on his deathbed. And he did not have much time left to live. And I came and I was, I was planning to pray for him and to kind of care for him. I had this mindset of this man needs me. And I came to him and I asked him if there's anything I can do. And then, and then what he began to do is he, he just started praying for me. Like before, I could even, before he could even answer the question, what do you need? He just began praying for me in that moment. And and then what he started to do is after his prayer, he began to just walk me through the entire biblical storyline. It was, my mind was blown. I viewed this man lying in his deathbed as somebody who needed me and who had nothing to give me. And what I left with was something that was so deeply encouraging. I had no expectation that this person was going to be a blessing to me. But when we come to believe in the gospel of Jesus that humbles us and lifts us, it allows us to take turns playing the role of host and guest. That we don't just simply view ourselves as the people who have all the solutions for people's problems, but we learn how to be blessed and receive from others. We can serve one another and be served by one another without pity or without pride. Amy Oden in her book, And You Welcomed Me, that's the the title of her book, in talking about this idea of biblical hospitality, she says this, The feeling of pity and the desire to better the lives of others is a good thing, often inspired by God in one's heart, but it is seductive, even dangerous, for the host to view herself as helper. The would-be act of hospitality becomes an act of condescension and failure to see either one's own need or the true identity of the stranger in Christ. When we only view ourselves as people who have something to offer others and not see ourselves as people who might need the blessing of other people, we can very easily slip into an us-them way of viewing relationships. It is so important for us to recognize the gospel lifts us and it also lowers us. It humbles us, but also encourages us to live the life God has given us. So mutual hospitality means that we can take turns being the guest and the host. The second thing, and we'll close with this. the, The second thing that what it looks like to live out mutual hospitality is that we look for the image of God in all people. We look for the image of God in all people. And what this means 
is that we believe that every person is made in the image of God, meaning they have worth and value. But it's not just that they have worth and value. It means that they have something to contribute. They have something to give. That God has gifted every person in this world in unique ways. And especially when we come to be a part of the church, we find that God gives us unique gifts to serve and bless one another as well as those outside of our church. There's a reason why the Apostle Paul says this in Romans chapter 12. Listen to what Paul says. He says, For the, by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. Now, as we have many parts in one body and all the parts do not have the same function, in the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. What this is telling us is that when we come to believe in Jesus and follow after him, we have an ability to see that that God humbles us. Because Paul says, look, don't, don't view yourself more highly than you should, but also believe that you have gifts to give and serve others. And also believe that they have gifts that can be used to serve and bless you. It's why Paul says later in verse 16, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. And do not be wise in your own estimation. So when we think about living out this idea of mutual hospitality, what it means is that we believe firmly that God uses all types of people to accomplish his work, his work in the world. But it also means that we have to be willing to see ourselves as people who can bless others and can be blessed by others. And that's really hard for us. That's second. It can be really hard for us to accept help from somebody. It can be really hard for us to accept a blessing from someone or even a compliment from someone. And if we are to be a people who live out mutual hospitality, we need to learn and understand that God has humbled us and lifted us and that everyone has something to contribute. And so when you think about the story of Cornelius and Peter, what I want you to think about is this. Never, never, never discredit or discount someone simply because of where they are in their faith journey at that moment. Never discredit or discount anyone because of where they are currently in their faith journey. And so we have to have this willingness to see that if somebody who may have a different experience and life background than mine, it doesn't mean that they have nothing to offer and contribute. The gospel humbles us and tells us we are broken sinners in need of grace. And the gospel also lifts us and says the spirit of God that hovered over the waters of creation and raised Jesus from the dead. That same spirit is alive in you and working in you and through you for his purposes. And so I'll I'll close with this. Jesus is a perfect example for us in being this gracious host and humble guest. You know the story of Zacchaeus. I won't get into it right now, but the story of Zacchaeus is Jesus going to this tax collector and saying to him, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house today. Jesus plays the role of humble guest in going to Zacchaeus' house. 
And then he says, salvation has now come to this house. How does Jesus bring salvation to Zacchaeus? How does Jesus bring somebody who is outside the people of God, who is outside, who is not living a life that God has designed? How does Jesus bring an outsider inside? He does so by becoming a guest in their home. Our Lord Jesus displays for us what it means to live out this picture of mutual hospitality. And we are to live in that same manner. If Jesus has shown us what it means to be humbled so that he might be lifted up and lift others up, then we are to do the same. In light of who Jesus is and what he has done, we are to be a people who live out that same idea. And so this is the last passage I'll read. Paul says this about Jesus in Philippians 2. This is the picture of mutual hospitality. This is the foundation of it. Paul says, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not count equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. When we see that Jesus has humbled himself to invite us in, it empowers us to be a people who do the same for others. The gospel turns us and them into we. May that be the truth that defines us and shapes us as a people. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you and praise you for the beautiful truth that in Jesus Christ, our King, You have humbled yourself and entered into our broken world as a humble guest and yet also as a gracious host who invites us into your kingdom now and forever. Lord, I ask that the beauty and the mystery and the profound nature of the gospel that humbles us and lifts us, that it would transform us in our ability to see one another made in your image and that every person, no matter where they are in their faith journey, has the ability to be used by you for your purposes. Lord, keep us from seeing people simply as people who are different than us. And may we believe with our whole heart that every person made in your image has something of value to contribute to our lives and to those around us. And so, Lord, equip us as your church to be a people who are able to be gracious hosts and humble guests with one another and with those in our life that you have placed us with. Lord Jesus, move us to be a people who live in this way because you have shown your great love towards us in humbling yourself to the point of death, even death on the cross for us and our salvation. It is in your name and for your glory that we pray. Amen. We're going to move into a time of prayer of confession. Our friend Lori is going to lead us in that.